Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you here as we have a jam-packed show set for you here as we are going to talk markets, fairly robust export sales, plenty of news headlines. We'll talk markets later in the show with Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. Coming up as well, we're going to talk precision agriculture with Laura Thompson from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. But kicking things off, let's focus on the fertilizer markets. Joining us now, Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at Stone X. And Josh, it's been a little while since we've talked. Uh, Happy New Year to you. I hope you're doing well. Thanks for joining us. You as well. Yeah, getting through it. Got through the first start of the year. We got our big race done there uh, beginning of January. Family and I made the trip down, so that was always a good time. And trying to get back in the swing, like we said, uh, a lot of travel between now and the start of spring. Yeah, we were talking just off air, just the amount of farm shows that have already happened and seminars and you name it and more yet to come here the next uh, couple of weeks ahead before we dive into the heart of spring planting season. And, you know, speaking of spring planting season in the U.S. here, Josh, I know we continue to watch fertilizer prices. A lot of farmers watching the price here as we head into that spring planting season. But just to kind of take a step back here the last couple of weeks, Feels like we've started to see a lot of prices continue to fall when it comes to fertilizer. What's what's the latest you're seeing right now, Josh? It is uh, everything, and especially it's all depending on when you look at it from. I'll tell you what: if you go back in time, twelve months, it is a drastically different marketplace. Twelve months ago, we were worried: is there going to be enough inventory around the world? We can't get ahead of it. People couldn't buy quick enough. All these problems around the world, and that's why we ended up hitting our all-time high on a lot of these prices, we moved into that late March, early April time period. Now it's been the exact opposite. Demand has been almost non-existent around the world. Buyers have seen some of the the weakness in the armor and they're exploiting it, waiting until as long as humanly possible before pulling the trigger. The sellers, of course, are feeling the pressure. They continue to drop price, trying to find demand. So you're seeing everything be half or if not less than half of where it was 12 months ago. And now everybody's kind of like, oh my gosh, here we are. We're second half of January. How much lower can this thing go? I mean, eventually world demand has got to pop up getting ready for spring, but how much longer can they wait? I, that's the magic question out there. And I know there's a lot of people that are probably a little upset saying, hey, I'm not seeing all these uh, moves dollar for dollar inland, but we got to remember there's still some logistical problems. There's still a lot of stuff to move. We are still dealing with a higher cost logistical avenue than what we have been. Well, and I look across the board, I mean, urea, UAN, nitrogen, potash, everything for the most part, phosphate, everything is kind of seems to be on that downward trend. Maybe, you know, some uh, some types uh, more so than others, but overall, it just feels like that trend downward. And as you mentioned, that demand just not there right now, Josh. 
It's not. And I'll tell you, this is something I got wrong. Uh, we went into the end of the year. Now, we had fully expected December to be a very quiet period. Uh, the only world demand that we expect on the nitrogen side was going to be India. Well, the problem is they bought almost 3 million tons a month in November. They did not need to buy in December. So we figured December was going to be relatively quiet, and that would cause prices to fall because everybody likes you got to feed a bull every day or else mm -hmm. it's going to starve. Um, but I, what I did not anticipate that we would get three quarters of the way through January and still not see that demand come forward. So that has really put the pressure, you know, producers around the world continue to produce every single day. Those stockpiles grow, those, that risk continues to grow. The question in my mind is when does that demand step forward? It's not that the demand has gone away. None of us think that all this demand has just disappeared. It is more the fact that it's just waiting as long as possible, but get it, it's like a dam. The longer we wait, the more that water level rises and eventually that wall is gonna break. And the higher it goes, when it breaks, it hits that much harder. So from what starting price to, you know, is it a even lower starting price? And then we see prices pop up. Um, it, these are all the questions we're trying to figure out. Q1 is always kind of a squirrely period anyway. This one more than others. Well, you mentioned you're doing a lot of traveling. What are you hearing from producers uh, across the across the country, across North America, when it comes to this lack of demand? What is some of the reasoning that a lot of folks are waiting? Is it because they want to see how low these prices can get? Is it still the you know the relationship between the price of corn, wheat, et cetera, not penciling out correctly? What are you hearing when it comes to this, some of this lack of demand from the producer side, Josh? I think it's all of that. And ultimately it comes down to for the first time since the summer of 2020, buyers smell blood in the water and they like it. They love it. They have been sitting there getting pushed and prodded and pulled and being told what to do and when they're going to do it. And we're finally seeing the markets come back to the buyer. The buyer finally has some power at the negotiation table and they want their pound of flesh. And yeah, it's when you're in a falling market, even if you see a number where if it makes sense, for example, you sit there and say, well, yeah, but what if it goes down to the $20, $30 a ton? Let's just wait. I mean, at this point, if it drops down and then it rallies back up 20, 30, and I have to pay that higher price, I'm okay with that. I want the market to prove itself to me. And right now the market has not proven itself. So I think demand overall continues to be very cagey because it sees that downward slide. Um, there's a lot of questions on what form of nitrogen, for example, are people going to use? We have heard a tremendous amount of UAN users saying, I'm going to be doing more urea. Actually, I had a conversation with somebody up in the Northern Plains who normally puts on anhydrous saying the same thing. I typically put on anhydrous. I bought a spreader. I'm putting urea on because it's so much cheaper than the alternative. Uh, phosphate and potash, I am getting more bold up on the demand because that price has come down so far. It actually looks like it's in line. It looks like it's decent. That and potash looks decent compared to like December 23 corn prices. So I think that demand is coming around. But again, why would a buyer step in today when you can wait a few weeks and hopefully that price falls? Do we wonder as well if some of the uh, the price moves here could have an effect on what farmers put in the ground this spring? Because I know that acre battle is yep. still in front of us here in the U.S., Josh. It is. We continue to talk about 93 million acres internally. Uh, there are some that after the last USA reporter saying, well, maybe it's something a little bit closer to 92. Okay. I, I'm okay with that. 92, 93 million acres. That is still a very, very big demand number if we're putting on normal application rates of phosphate and potash. And if the nitrogen is there, which of course it has to be if you're going to plant corn. Um, that fear is of course going to be there that, oh, the spring's going to be terrible again, like it was last year. We're not going to get the corn acres in the ground. But unfortunately, that's a reactionary thing. That's something that we won't be able to tell until April 15, April 30. 
A lot of things to keep an eye on. And of course, uh, we'll stay close with you as we watch what's going on with the fertilizer markets. Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at StoneX. Thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thanks, sir. And again, Josh Linville, Vice President of Fertilizer at StoneX. Always appreciate his time and insight joining us here on the show today, keeping us up to speed with what's going on with fertilizer prices and that fertilizer market. Obviously, a very key component here. A lot of decisions being made now and the next couple of weeks ahead when it comes to spring planting season and inputs. Well, coming up here as well, speaking of inputs, planting, precision, agriculture, we're going to sit down with Laura Thompson. She is the director of the Nebraska On-Farm Research Network, and she is with the University of Nebraska, Lincoln as well. We're going to talk about some of the research they're doing and some of the adoption of precision agriculture across the country. We'll get to that interview coming up next as we're back with more Market Talk on the way right after this. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us Laura Thompson. She is with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Extension. She's an educator and also the director of the Nebraska On-Farm Research Network. And she has served as director of the Nebraska On-Farm Research Network since 2014. So pleased to have her join us here on the show today. Laura, thanks for being with us. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, great to join you today. Appreciate the time. I, I think just to start, let's let, let's set the stage here. Talk a little bit about the Nebraska On-Farm Research Network. And I know you've obviously been in the role as director now for quite a few years, as I mentioned. So can you just kind of give us a quick summation of some of the things that you guys focus on there with the research network? Yeah, for sure. So our On-Farm Research Network in Nebraska has been going since about 1990. Um, so we have a pretty long history of the program, and really our focus is to help producers evaluate different uh, management practices, different products, different technologies that can make an impact on their crop production, their profitability, uh, and even the sustainability of their operation. And so the farmers that participate are conducting that research on their own farms, um, in their own growing environment, using their own equipment, um, which means that the results that they're getting are going to be directly applicable to their operation um, and really relevant and helpful in making them or in their future management decisions that they're going to need to make. Um, so they're collecting a lot of really great data um, that's going to be beneficial to their operation, but also to other people as well. Um, so we try to compile results, um, aggregate results, and make those uh, useful to um, others in the region or the state um, as well, so that even more people can benefit from this great information that these farmers are generating. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing, like you mentioned, not only the farmers who are participating, able to use all this data and all these things they learn on their operation, but you guys are able to you know, gather all that data and share it for others to use. And I, I think about just the different agronomic tools we have here in 2023, you know, there, there's so much that is involved and thinking about digital technology, precision agriculture. I mean, that is a huge topic right now in agriculture, Laura. And I know that's some of the things that uh, you guys are, are working on and focusing on as well here the last couple of years. 
Yeah, so uh, precision, precision agriculture um, can really offer a lot of opportunities for farmers in conducting on-farm research. Um, of course, we can use those technologies, uh, things like GPS, yield monitors, uh, variable rate technology. Um, we can use those to try to increase efficiencies, place uh, products more efficiently in the field. Um, but I think one opportunity that sometimes is overlooked is that opportunity to actually use these technologies, uh, sometimes that already exist in the operation, um, and leverage them to conduct on-farm research. So, um, for example, looking at something like variable rate seed or variable rate fertilizer, um, we could, of course, try to use those technologies, and we do try to use those technologies to place um, those products in optimum rates throughout the field. But oftentimes we don't really have the insight or knowledge on how to best set those, um, how to best distribute those inputs, uh, especially when we're first starting out with a field. Mm -hmm. um, so a great opportunity is to actually use those technologies to do on-farm research. Um, so we can set up prescriptions just like you do for a variable rate application in the field, uh, but set them up with some different rates. So for example, if we're thinking about nitrogen fertilizer, we can set up some blocks, maybe about 400 feet long by the width of the implement, uh, maybe look at five different rates and set those rates up um, in some contrasting areas of the field. So maybe we put a set of those five rates in some sandy area, some clay area, high elevation, low elevation, you know, whatever is out there for variation in the field. And with this, we can really um, start to understand that optimum nitrogen rate or optimum seeding rate in those different portions of the field. And that's going to be really helpful for growers to guide those future management decisions, whether they end up using variable rate management in the future. Um, it can all happen <clears throat> pretty seamlessly. Mm -hmm. um, when we set this up with a prescription, the rate changes can happen on the go. Uh, we can collect the yield data on the go. Um, so it can be a pretty convenient way for people to get a lot of information about their operation. Well, and I think, too, uh, some of those things you alluded to, Laura, kind of the the adage, work smarter, not harder, in a sense, with, with all of this technology we have. And, and and you alluded to it, too. And I have to think, you know, though some of the advantages that Precision Ag offers farmers today, you know, say a farmer has a field, the soil type might be different from one end of the field to the other end of the field. So, you know, it, it, it's useful to use all the tools in the toolbox to make sure, you know, we're getting the best ROI because at the end of the day, you know, cost of inputs going up. We want the best return on our investment. We want the best crop that we can get out of every inch of our field. And I, I think that's very key where precision ag can come into play, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And the goal really is to move beyond thinking of the field, um, treating it uniformly and starting to look at how we can manage it within the field to address that variability, whatever that might be. Um, and we have a lot of tools that can help us do that, can help us inform um, and guide those decisions, a lot of data that can help um, make those decisions. And really, like you mentioned, can help improve the profitability, the efficiency. But along with that, I think a really important one as we um, um, move forward is also that opportunity to reduce any uh, negative environmental impacts. And so as we're being more efficient with our fertilizer applications, our, our water applications, in some cases reducing them or better distributing them through the field, we really have a great opportunity to also uh, reduce that environmental uh, potential negative outcomes. 
Exactly. Sustainability, a huge key component to this as well, and a huge part of agriculture. And I wonder too, we're hearing a lot about sustainability. We're hearing a lot about precision ag. As you look at your research, how widely are some of these things being adopted? I know there is, you know, there could be some apprehension sometimes. Farmers, you know, say, oh, there's all this technology. I don't need all that. You know, I've been doing it this way for so many years. But I think more people are opening up to it. I just wonder from what you see, how widely are things being adopted right now? Yeah, uh, in the U.S., um, overall, precision agriculture is fairly widely adopted, um, especially uh, relative to a global scale. Mm -hmm. um, it does vary, though, based on the technology that we're talking about. So things like GPS technology and yield monitoring technology have been adopted more rapidly than things like variable rate technology. And some of that, I think, is the challenge in knowing how to best implement those technologies um, and get what um, kind of return on investment we're going to get. And I think some of that's becoming more apparent, especially as we're able to conduct more uh, research and on-farm research and kind of demonstrate and um, the benefit of these, as well as better understand those conditions where they're going to be most beneficial. Um, so I do think we're continuing to see an increase in the adoption of those technologies um, and I, I don't expect that to change in the future, um, especially mm -hmm. given, you know, our need to uh, meet a growing uh, food demand for our growing population, uh, rising labor costs, a lot of challenges that we can try to um, utilize precision ag or even more broadly digital agriculture to, to help us overcome. Yeah, fantastic. I've got a couple minutes. I'd love just some thoughts, maybe some of the recent uh, recent research you guys have been working on uh, with the uh, research network, some of the projects that are underway. What are a couple things that you're really excited about that you would uh, you would want to highlight for us? Yeah, so one fun aspect of the program is that we have such a huge variety of research topics that get covered every year. Um, so we have projects that we kind of put together and have more cohesive efforts around the state, but we also have farmers who come with all their own ideas. And so that means we have just a huge wealth and variety of different ideas that farmers are testing. Um, so there's always things looking like uh, crop production questions like row spacing, variable rate seeding. Uh, we've had studies looking at how to utilize multi-hybrid planting. Um, a lot of interesting work going on with cover crops, helping better understand uh, cover crop management, things like species to use, herbicide interactions, termination timing, uh, opportunities to interseed cover crops. Um, and then a lot of ones that I'm more involved with and excited with are looking at soil fertility and how we can utilize technologies, things like sensors and crop models to help us better manage and better inform our nitrogen rate in the field, which is a really critical topic as well, especially as we think about um, our environmental impact. So those are always really fun and um, exciting to see those technologies getting applied in that way. Um, and then there's always lots of questions on new products, additives, biologicals, lots of different products that farmers are, are testing, which is awesome to see those being tested in a huge variety of growing environments across the state as well. Well, again, great stuff. I know folks can learn more online on farm-research.unl.edu to stay up to date with the Nebraska On-Farm Research Network. With that, Laura Thompson with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and Director of the Nebraska On-Farm Research Network. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, great to visit. Thanks. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk markets with Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. We'll be back with more here on Market Talk right after this.
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, we saw plenty of green on the screen in the grain and oil seeds on the day Thursday. A little more mixed activity in livestock and a fairly uh, quiet day in the outside markets. But plenty to take a look at. A few different news headlines to take a look at in the market trade as we talk now, we bring in our good friend, Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. Brian, good to catch up with you. And I know we were chatting off air a little bit. And a nice positive day. Good money flow. A lot of green on the screen there in the grain and oilseed trade. Yeah, we, we think there we, we think there's good money flow. Obviously, it looked like there was some short covering. The funds have been very short the wheat market. So another update in the wheat. Got some single-digit temperatures forecasted. Again, for winter wheat country, uh, lack of snow cover. So that adds some uncertainty, uh, maybe escalation. If how you want, however you want to view it, but it doesn't look like the war is taming down. It looks like it's escalating. So I'm going to say mm -hmm. escalation, with Germany and the U.S. Uh, 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 I guess allowing or or you know moving forward with tanks mm -hmm. into Ukraine and how Russia might respond. A big missile attacks today. So looks like that is is escalating. Um, we had some good export sales numbers today. And uh, not necessarily stellar, but good. And mm -hmm. that's that's a big a big plus, especially in corn, which has been really lagging. Plus, we've had this week, we've had a couple of hundred thousand plus sales announcements in corn. So looks like the end users uh, taking a little more aggressive approach due to a shortfall and what will be a shortfall, I think, in the Argentine crop, and then a long time before that, that you know, the real core of the Brazilian crop available to the market. You're talking at least. 90 to 120 days probably yeah mm -hmm. uh, talking this wheat market i think let's let's start there and dive in a little bit more just uh I, I think a lot of the headlines as you mentioned kind of focused on the wheat market thursday um the the reminder i think of the tensions between russia and ukraine it's felt like that story is kind of you know lost it we've been desensitized to it a little bit in the market trade and you brought up a lot of the funds who have been short i think largest short position in srw since 2019 something like that or you know mm -hmm. very very short in these wheat markets i think you get enough of these stories like we saw today kind of a feeding the bull there in the wheat market and, and you know maybe it's time as well to you know buy some of this cheap wheat brian maybe that's all kind of combining here today we had some technical activity, had a double bottom, uh, and then testing the Bollinger Band. And then today, pretty good close, maybe above the 21-day and even the 40-day moving average. Haven't closed above those for several weeks. So you've got that. But really, you go back to uh, late uh, or mid-October, early November, when that corridor, the agreement in the corridor opened up, and wheat really took a big slide. And during that same window, you kind of hear heard you, well, how big is Russia's crop, and mm -hmm. what why is Russia you know cooperating with this? Uh, and it's probably because they had a pretty big crop, but it it doesn't look like 
from what uh, from what the wire services Reuters had indicated today that the USDA is not of the bias that the wheat crop is anywhere near what Russia says it is, which I think they're talking like 103 million metric tons and USDA is down to 92 million. So maybe mm-hmm. that added a little flavor to the market today. But I, I'd suffice it to say, you know, we've got a, let's say, a pretty good bean market today, again, and beans solid close back above 15. So with beans heading up, pulling, I think, probably corn up some and weed up, it's just a nice green day across the board. Stock market's up a little bit, um, dollars up just a little, but uh, just kind of more of a, you know, I don't know if I like the term risk on or risk off, but it certainly looks like risk on. And soybean meal continues to look good big surge up there now it's not quite to its highs but this is a quick turnaround after a pretty good plunge here a week ago and the concern there again is that meal is well supported due to the what will be probably shortfall of bean production and therefore meal out of argentina yeah and you know thinking about that meal surge I, i know some folks have been starting to maybe get a little worried in the soy complex with some of the sell-off we've had in recent days but you know then we come rip roar back here today finding some support in that meal market it feels like soybeans this whole complex could ebb and flow here a little bit until you know maybe we get more confirmation of what's coming out of south america brazil big crop argentina rough weather there i I think that could maybe have an effect as well here brian yeah you know it's kind of it looked like the the bean mark was rolling over uh after it put its high and after the usd report really nice punch up and and all of a sudden uh you know today makes it, it look a whole lot different um when we looked at the day the market peaked we were down 15 and a quarter the day the market peaked but that day we hit a high of 15 48 and a half before closing at 15, 24 and a half. So the, the point of it is, that was a pretty rough looking day in the chart. Big bearish key reversal. Market followed through to the downside, but found support yesterday uh, at the 50 uh, day moving average and bounced off of there. But just a really big day today in March beans. And that spread between old crop, new crop continues to widen. Traders are buying the March, they're buying May, they're buying July, and they're selling November. And for instance, the, the uh, spread if you're looking at March beans versus November is now 171 and three quarters. So let's just say $1.72. To put this in some type of perspective, on the 10th of January, the spread was at 90. So the spread itself is picked up uh, close to 80 cents. And if you go back just a few days on the 5th of January, the spread was at 85. That is, that's a magnificent run that's a 90 cent run on a bull Mm -hmm. spread in in less than a month so the emphasis is definitely on the old crop and the interesting thing when i look at not to ramble on too much here but i got to get this point in when i look at the november soybean divided by december corn ratio uh Mm -hmm. or figure is 2.29 so that's not buying bean acres. So I'm, I'm a bit perplexed as to why the beans seem to be kind of dying against corn. Now, new crop corn isn't rallying through the roof either, but it doesn't seem like beans are all that competitive. Maybe it's the idea that South America has a big bean crop. I don't know. With these you know, crushing plants supposedly coming online one after another here over the next two years, you got to wonder if we're going to, you know, some, by some accounts, we need to add I don't know, 10, 14 million acres of beans somewhere. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not doing it on new crop price today. 
Well, and to your point, you know, we've been starting to see more reports about surveys about acreage coming up this spring here in the U.S. and some talk of maybe a few more wheat acres thrown in there just with fertilizer prices, maybe a little less nitrogen was put on in the fall, things like that. Uh, I'm hearing, you know, I think Farm Futures had to survey earlier this week, quarter bean acres were, were pretty close to equal. I just wonder, you know, we start to, to your point, looking at that spread, start thinking more and more about this acre battle. I think that is going to really come into focus and be a, a market headline here the next couple of weeks, months ahead, Brian. Yeah, you, you get into the late January. Now I start talking about February and starting setting insurance levels. Mm-hmm. So we're just mm-hmm. a week away from that. And that starts to have some impact. So, so there is certainly those things. Uh, I'm just surprised that November beans seem to be sort of a laggard. Uh, they're not really participating. Um, yeah, I look at the price of November beans today, 1352, and they are up from where they were here the last couple of days, had lows near 1330. Uh, but just ended December, 1427, four, you know, close to 1430. So mm-hmm. we're talking about an 80 cent spill out from the highs, mm-hmm. and yet March beans are within a dime of their high. So, or, or 20 cents. So um, it, it, interesting run there that the traders are, are putting the emphasis on the bull side of it. Maybe they anticipate that some wet weather creates planting or harvest delays to Brazil and that it just, it, it could be problematic to get enough beans in the pipeline quick enough and that Argentina just by a natural shortfall won't have enough to get into the pipeline. So it seems like the money is buying the old crop right now. And that's between beans and, and meal. That's Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big deal. Um, soybean oil, you know, you wish it could be a little bit more optimistic. But boy, that's, you know, that's been struggling. That's that's just not going. That's the opposite direction. So the traders are buying meal selling oil. Well, and to your point, you know, the money buying old crop right now. And when you think about new crop, I also come back to the thought of, well, you know, maybe you uh, lock some floors in and, you know, I, I think you, you've said this before, maybe your first sale, even if it's, you know, if, what if it's your worst sale, you know, and, yeah. and the market goes up. So I wonder, too, if there's some risk management to take even on a smaller rally in some of these new crop contracts right now, Brian. Well, the, 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 the big picture perspective is that we're at high prices and we're at high prices, even with the sell off beans from where they were three weeks ago for new crop. We're still at high prices. So mm-hmm. as an example, just a little over a year ago when I was at the uh, Iowa farm show, uh, you know, beans were moving through 1350 and a lot of farmers were pretty happy. And they were talking about, you know, I, I sold some beans today. I'm going out selling beans. Makes sense. Um, then beans went higher. So and so, so, well, maybe didn't make as much sense. But so everything's somewhat relative. There have been a lot of things that were supportive that made that first 1350 sale didn't look quite as good. And that is you had a drought in Brazil uh, of magnitude last year. There's no drought in Brazil in this year's crop right now. So Brazil is a, such a big player to the world. Now there is an Argentina, but I, I keep coming back to the idea that these higher price levels, they may stick around, but I, I think we're getting more and more to, you know, at some point an equal chance that they don't. And that's why they're deferred or that's why there's a discount on the deferred months. The market's not buying it either, saying that we think there's going to be, you know, crop production problems around the world. So so we have these inverted markets. So it's not time to maybe go wide open, but it's certainly time to not do nothing 
or to to I phrase that right. It's it's not time to sit and do yeah nothing. I think you got to take some action. It's it'll be February first here pretty quick, and um, it's time to move and get something in place. Well, we are having a conversation with Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. We're going to continue that conversation. We'll talk livestock, dairy, and more coming up here after the break as we're back with more market talk of the way right after this. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, is our guest analyst here today. Brian, I want to move over to livestock real quick and talk about that. Cattle fairly mixed. Hogs, though, found some buying support, it looked like, there mid-session. I know we've been wondering this hog market if we're going to find a bottom anytime soon. Anything you're seeing chart-wise there that kind of spark some of that buying around midday Thursday. Well, when it started to really, you know, went into new lows on the on the whole downturn here. And then by midday started to turn. So I think the traders that were short might have been pretty quick to start to exit. And then you ended up with what what we call a big reversal date. So the range today was much larger than yesterday. And we had a lower low and a higher high and a higher close. That's that's called a bullish key reversal. So you've got that. Now I'm looking at the April contract just because I chose that contract. This downturn is very similar to the downturn that we saw in early October where the market just really plunged and then it roared right back. So I don't want to overpromise that we're going to roar back, but I don't think we're looking at such a heavy supply side. Mm-hmm. Um, and then part of the thing that may have got the market maybe moving a little bit better is some economic data that said, well, the fourth quarter actually was not so bad. Uh, might have grown a little bit, the economy might have. So all of a sudden that sort of maybe let some of the air out of the recession talk bubble right now. And we'll have to see, you know, but there there could have been some of that help to the meat markets as well. One of the things that you and I've talked about before is one, inflation, but two, just general economics you know people mm-hmm. are wanting to travel they're wanting to do this wanting to do that they've been cooped up uh but 60 what is it 63 percent are living paycheck to paycheck now so that concerns me when you talk about you know sending meat prices to you know, record high levels I, I don't know it just seems to me the consumer has some pretty tough choices to make you know you're going to buy eggs at five dollars a, mm-hmm. a carton or you're going to buy some pork or what are you going to do so i just think it's an yeah. overall economic malaise yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. And, you know, cattle, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we're still talking bullish and looking at a, you know, a herd that it continues to get smaller and smaller. But when you throw in that economic data and the retail data and the meat case, the, you know, that that has that has a pretty strong impact. And I know we've talked about that before quite a few times, Brian. Well, that's reality. Uh, you know, the consumer yeah. goes to the store now. Maybe, they, you know, I've I've talk both sides of this coin. I've said, you know, I, I'm I'm a thinking that, you know, big ticket items start to lose their flavor, but people still eat well and they're going to buy what they buy in the grocery store if they're not buying t- big ticket items. Uh, on the other hand, I still think there's just a general caution because of inflation that people are cautioning what they pay for everything. And the reprieve maybe came in the energy complex when gas prices instead of four and a half or five dollars dropped back down into the three-ish area. 
give mm -hmm. or take. But the crude oil market isn't like really soft right now. It's you know back above 80 and 81, 82 dollars. So uh, don't be totally shocked if we don't see prices at the pump start to move up. And then I think we saw a report today. I can't quote it, uh, but tighter supplies of gasoline mm -hmm. and diesel um, per day's you know like the lowest in nine years. So it's a pretty tight situation. Um, this quote revenge travel you know you want to get out and move and travel. yeah i get it people want to do that but mm -hmm. dollars are still limited very true very true how about that dairy market i know that we've talked dairy and we've seen the inflation impacts in the dairy trade what is the latest you're seeing there let's get an update on how dairy is looking right now you know it's it's a market that's struggling it's it, it's probing for a bottom we had a very healthy bullish key reversal four sessions ago little follow through the next day and then it promptly closed it lower so it couldn't hold up and then the next day was lower today we we were in the green but you're still looking at most contracts in the front months the first in fact for six months of this year uh through june all have a 18 in front of it 1897 and it wasn't that long ago we were talking about 19 and then 20 and 21 and 22 and you know even at 21 dollars you know when we talked to producers well you know the inputs are rising they weren't all that interested in uh in milk and it's like you you know we're, we're really sitting kind of in a dilemma window here where the big picture concern is that world demand particular overseas and just con conservative consumer purchasing is what's hindering milk in addition to what we've talked about before. Milk production reports show a few more cows. They show more production per cow, so an efficiency bump, and then more production overall. So you have more production compared to a year ago, and you have a shakier economic environment, both domestically and worldwide, than a year ago. And it, it, that shows up in milk, it seems, right away. Well, Brian, great thoughts as always. Before we let you go, any final thoughts you want to share or reiterate today? Yeah, just, you know, stay on top of things. Uh, you know, jumpy markets, uh, corn, boy, early week of December, it looked like it was on its, you know, way, to, way down. It's bounced yeah. back a couple of times now, but it really hasn't gotten any gusto to it. Pay close attention. December corn, I still think we're on the slippery slope there. There's not a lot of reason for end users, even though it's a big discount to chase new crap corn right now, especially when you look at something like 590. Uh, it, it's not 682 like March is, but it's still 590. And I wouldn't be shocked if we end up you know, down the road perceptively. The market looks like it's got more acres. And all of a sudden we talk about 178, 180, maybe 181 yield. And the market starts to think about $5 again on the board. And, and that's certainly feasible or possible. So, so just want to be you know, cautious, stay on top of things, um, have good conversations with your advisor. If you want to call us, you know, have a conversation with us. But I'm not necessarily convinced that yet last year's, with hindsight, best strategy was sitting in your hands at this time of year, that that's the same approach again this year. Well, Brian, if folks want to reach out to you and get some advice there at Total Farm Marketing, what's the best way to reach you? Uh, that's through a phone call, 800-334-9779 or brian at totalfarmmarketing.com. Uh, that's my email address, so send me an email or check out our website, totalfarmmarketing.com. Always a pleasure, Brian Doherty with Total Farm Marketing. Thanks for joining us today, sir. Have a great week. We'll talk to you again next week. 
Yes, sir. Thank you, Jesse. We're out of time today on Market Talk. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency. So you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.